Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce my guest, I just want to talk a little bit about what I am watching this week or listening to. I did finish the season finale of The Vow on HBO. As I said, I was really enjoying this. The last two episodes, they dragged a little. I do have some critiques of it, which I'll probably get into on my longer TV recap podcast. Um, but for now, I definitely, I recommend it. And I know that they're doing a season two, so that should be interesting. I started the Nexium, uh, sorry, I started the Stars version version of this show that is more from the POV of India Oxenberg and her mother, Catherine. Um, it's fine so far. I really, I only got halfway through. I'm not sure I'll stick with it. It's a lot of what I already know and kind of was covered on the HBO show, and which is the problem when you release two shows that are basically the same, just different ways of presenting it. It's just, it gets a little bit tiring after a while. And that segues perfectly into my guest today on the podcast because I binged a wonderful show on Netflix called Deaf You, and it was produced by my friend Eric Evangelista, who is the owner of Hot Snakes Media with his wife, Shannon. Eric was on the podcast in 2016. We had a great interview. I'll post the show notes where you can find and listen to that interview. And I was excited to have him back on to talk about the show with Naima Holmes, who is the supervising producer on the show and who used to be a network executive. I kind of know her from from that. They get into everything about the show. I had so many questions about kind of the backstory of how it was developed, how it was made, how it was shopped around what the feedback was. We get into all of that. Also was super curious about how it worked with the crew and having an almost half deaf production crew and just the casting and and music choices and, and things like that. Really a deep dive into sort of the behind the scenes of Deaf You on Netflix, which I highly recommend. So here is my interview with Eric and Naima. Well, I'm very pleased to have return guest, Eric Evangelista, and new guest, Naima Holmes. Thank you both so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you about the show. Thanks for having us. So I always start by saying how I know my guest. And Eric, you and I go way back. And like I said, I had you on for a long interview the first year of my podcast. And I'm going to actually post that interview in the show notes so people can go back and listen to that because that was a fun conversation. And then Naima, you and I met back when you were an executive at Nat Geo. I don't know if you remember, but I met you probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Back in the day, it's like, yeah, six, seven years ago. Crazy. How time has flown. As time has flown. Uh, it's early in the morning here. Okay. So I'm really excited to jump in. I love this show. Eric and I were texting over the weekend and I was giving him kind of my live reaction to it as it was going on. It was something I would have watched anyway, frankly, it's up my alley, but obviously knowing that you produced it, I had definite interest just seeing what, what you could do with it. And so first of all, job well done. I really, really enjoyed it. But you know how I love to get into the nitty gritty of how it was all done? How did it come about? How did it end up on Netflix? So let's start from the very beginning with how did the idea come to you and how did you know that you wanted to do it? Okay. So um, about four years ago, three or four years ago, I was watching a show on Freeform called Switch to Birth. And yeah. So I used to watch this show Switch to Birth, which is kind of, it's about like teenage kids 
and it's a scripted show um, on Freeform for teenagers. Uh, I was way into it, me and my wife. And there was an actor on it named Sean Birdie, who's deaf, and he plays um, a character. There's several deaf kids on that show, and they're part of this ensemble cast, scripted show. And I found, and, and they would just be talking in sign language, and uh, they really weren't making a big deal out of them being deaf. It really wasn't, you know, um, mentioned all that much. It just happened that they were deaf and it was part of the storyline. It was just part of the show. I thought the most interesting part of the show was the sign language. This should be its own show, um, all in sign language. I would watch that. So I started to talk to um, some people and try and find out how I could do this. And I talked to my production lawyer, uh, our lawyer at the company at Hot Snakes Media, whose wife happens to be an interpreter and for ASL. And she hooked me up with this woman named Peggy Ann Werner, who uh, teaches in Austin, Texas at Texas School for the Deaf. And uh, that was my main contact. So then I thought, who could I call to help me with this? I thought of Naima, because Naima, uh, Naima Holmes, is very much like me. She's very inquisitive, very um, creatively open-minded. And by that, I mean not stuck in production ways. And there's a lot of producers who are stuck in their ways, right? Like, oh, this is how I do a show and this is how we do it. And this is how you see that a lot in certain, uh, with certain showrunners, right? They're like, these are the people I'm going to hire no matter what the show is. This is my group of people that I always hire. You can't really do that. Every show needs a certain type of person producing it. So Naeem is very open-minded with that and always open to like a new challenge. And I know she would dig it. So she went to meet Peggy down in Austin, Texas, and uh, had quite an experience. I'll let her tell you all about that. Peggy, yes. Yeah. So Peggy's still now one of my friends. I She said, you need Deaf 101. And I was like, okay, whatever that means, I'm down. So I jumped on a plane to Austin, Texas and spent the weekend with Peggy and her friends and her associates. She's a teacher at Texas School for the Deaf, which is a live-in boarding school for K through 12. So a lot of parents, a lot of coworkers, um, she just, it's a whole big world over here. So I went to a house party, they had dinner, they had drinks. My interpreter was super late. So I just was, it was like jumping and swim. And I used rudimentary sign. I kind of was fingerspelling my name and introducing myself. And it was just a, it was a crash course. And I fell in love with the people. They were very open and welcoming. And like, even though I didn't know what the hell I was signing, they were explaining, like here, slowing down their signs for me. Um, and then from there, we just, like, I met some of the parents for the kids in this show before I even met the kids because they were, they were there at Peggy's house. So it was a great, it was just an introduction to their world in a very personal and kind of like, non I'm a producer I'm coming to make a show about you which is like here welcome let me tell you a little bit about our world very okay. cool and Peggy's still a friend I love that so then what happened back to you Eric we're gonna tag so oh so so Naima called me right after and she was like the music was so loud at the party like because because <laughs> <laughs> they were blasting music because they even though they're deaf they they, they feel the vibrations right. of the music so it was like so was all, all this cool stuff started to started to unravel so Anyway, with Peggy's help, we um, gained access to Gallaudet University. You know, we, 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 we identified the three largest areas 
of where we would like to do the show. One was Austin, Texas, where there's a big deaf community. The other was Rochester, New York. And the other was DC, where Gallaudet University is. So we uh, approached Gallaudet University and, um, you know, expressed our interest in doing a show there. And they introduced us to Niall DeMarco, who's um, a graduate of Gallaudet, and said, we would like to uh, have Niall involved in the show with you. And we said, we would love that. And um, that's how Niall got attached to the show. Okay, so backing up just one second, when you were looking into the three potential different places, did you always know that you wanted to focus it on young people or was it kind of whatever? Yeah, coming of age. I always wanted to do like a coming of age story um, of kids, you know, 18 to 25, somewhere in that age range, because I think those are the most interesting stories to tell. Now, did you know about Niall already? Because he had been sort of visible with Top Model and Dancing with the Stars and an activist in the deaf community. How did that Yeah, I had, been, I had been trying to get in touch with him and I had trouble. Um, so I wasn't able to, you know, you know how it is when you're trying to like find a, a, a celebrity to attach to a show. You never, you know, you can, you send emails to lawyers and agents and everybody and you never get anything returned, any emails or anything returned. But then Guy Dead said, Hey, how about now? I was like, yeah, I've been trying to get in touch with him. So it was kind of fortuitous Amazing. Um, that that occurred. Okay. So you decide on Guy Dead and then you have to, even for the sizzle reel to sell it, I'm assuming you have to start casting, right? Or was it more generic? No, Naima did that. She'll tell you. Yeah, we started casting even before the sizzle reel because in order to figure out what the show is and where the best location would be for the show, casting was part of that. So we cast a wide net to those places that Eric said, Austin, Texas, Rochester, even California CSUN had a a community in a school. So, and then we got submissions from all of those places, all of those kind of hubs and all of those university kids and narrowed it down to Gallaudet. And so then we were able to form our creative around the cast of characters in the world we know of at Gallaudet. And interestingly enough, Niall, as a graduate of Gallaudet, gave us more information about why Gallaudet is special. So that built the creative. So like the casting and the creative to go pitch was totally dependent on where we were based at, the world, that bubble, that community, and the cast that we were looking at, the potential cast. Um, and so, yeah, we, we reached out to universities. We reached out through Instagram. We talked to parents. Like I said, when I met in, in Austin, we talked to high schools that students had graduated. Um, and we put blurbs everywhere and we got submissions. And from there, when we narrowed it down to Gallaudet, we went down to Gallaudet, similar to me going down to Austin, Texas, with one camera guy, one of Eric's um, right-hand camera guys. And we went down and we just started doing face-to-face casting because the typical Skype or Zoom casting you don't really get to know the character. You don't get to know them as well. First of all, we can't speak the language. It's better to go there and immerse yourself. So our casting was like a shoot for a weekend. We went down there at Gaida and stayed on campus and really kind of like went to the parties, went to the classes and found our people that way as well. And, and did you bring an interpreter ourselves. or did you have an interpreter with you? Yeah, at the when we were doing the casting, we had Gaida's interpreters. So we use Gaia Dets interpreters. We move forward pilot. We then had staff interpreters that we used throughout the season. Yeah. And yeah, immersed ourselves good. in the community. So there's a hotel at Gallaudet that Naomi stayed at that caters towards deaf people. So everything, when we first start one of these shows, when you do a show about a different culture is immersion, complete and total immersion for the producers. Um, and that's another thing. Some producers don't like to do that. You know, some producers are very stuck in their ways and don't like to do that you know, when you staff up a show like this, you, you need to go with people who 
are interested in that and want that and want to challenge and want to learn and want to, you know, are into that kind of thing. You know, um, Naeem is into that and, um, you know, wants to be challenged on every single shoot. Um, a lot of times with a camera person, if, you know, on our show, we had a lot of deaf crew. So we had deaf producers um, for the pilot that Naima shot. And we had uh, a hearing cameraman and a deaf cameraman. Um, and a lot of cameramen in the, you know, that we hired were like a little scared not to, you know, to work with like somebody who's deaf. But you realize when you shoot a reality show uh, and you've been in the field, Eliza, you know, a lot of producers who listen to this have been in the field, like this hand signals all the time. And the cameramen talk to each other with hand signals all the time. It's like, it's easy. You know, everything's easy. It, it doesn't, it, nothing was really hard. There was really nothing to be afraid of to do this. Like everybody clicked into place like real quick, you know? I'm so glad you brought uh, that up because I have a million questions and I want to finish how it got made. But quick question about that since you hit on that. I was thinking about part of what the cameraman has to, or camera woman has to do is follow the action and they need to hear what the action is to understand what to cover. So I'm curious for the hearing camera person, how that worked. Cause that, I assume that would be tricky. Was the deaf camera person giving him or her signals in the pilot? Yes. There was a deaf camera guy, Javier, who I love. So he and the, our main camera guy were able to communicate. Like they just had this shorthand and so he mm -hmm. would send him a signal. There's also big cards on your phone where you can just like use it and he they would communicate back and forth. So they created their own path of communication. In series, we ended up having like basically interpreters who were telling us what was going on into our IFBs so we could listen and follow because there was a lot more characters. Oh, wow. a lot. Yeah. Fascinating. There's, okay, a, so there's, there's an app that a there's an app that a deaf company, deaf people created called Cardzilla. Um, and it, it basically, um, even though this is a podcast, I'll hold it up for you to see. I'll take a picture. Uh, it's like, it's like Cardzilla is like this, this app that deaf people created. And it's just basically these giant cue cards you can use on, um, uh, you know, on a, uh, on your iPhone. So we used a lot of that and even Apple notes, you know, you just type mm -hmm. it. You know. Yeah. Well, throughout the series, you could see. Um, some of the characters using, you know, when they were ordering food at a restaurant, super interesting. All right. I do have a million questions. So let's go back to, okay. So you shoot this sizzle or pilot, however you guys are referring to, was that, was there a pilot or are you calling the sizzle the pilot? The sizzle oh, no, that we, yeah. well, Netflix didn't fund a pilot. I funded yeah. the sizzle the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, the production company, Hot Sinks Media, I funded the pilot and then brought scissor reel and brought that out to uh, uh the pitch process okay but, yeah three stages basically we did the initial casting we went back for deeper casting and fuller scene work and then yeah okay all right so now you've got your sizzle it looks great it's ready to go out wait eric you know running a company and producing and developing that you always have to have several networks in mind before you even go out and spend that kind of money so who were you thinking about? Where did you pitch? And then what was the what was the response from the network community? And I want you to well, tell I always, it all. Well, I always wanted to bring it to Netflix. Everybody does, right? You know, I mean, let's be honest. You know, no matter what your show is, you always want it to be at Netflix, right? Doesn't matter. You know, you have, whenever you think of a show, when you're talking, you're like, oh, Netflix, and, you know, maybe Apple, Amazon, you know, Hulu, HBO, you know, that's where everybody wants to pitch your shows, right? Um, 
um, Discovery, TLC, um, MTV, a &E, um, all of those places, right? Uh, Lifetime. Um, so we brought it everywhere, Freeform. Um, we brought it everywhere. Um, Naima came with me, Niall came with me. Um, everybody, you know, we, we literally went everywhere. Um, and uh, we exhausted everywhere. The, the, the presentation tape was very, very good. Um, most of the characters that ended up in the final series were in that presentation tape. Um, there were some networks who didn't want to hear the pitch when they heard it was all in sign language. Uh, who? That the show was, I don't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> you know but, I was going to ask. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't want to say that. But um, there were just some people who just didn't want to hear it, you know. Um, and there were some people that did want to hear it. Um, and some people who suggested that we dub it, which I didn't want to do. I didn't want to dub voices in. I thought that would be insulting. And I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted it all to be in sign language and I wanted to show a real experience like fly on the wall. Like this is what you would see if you were there and this is how they communicate. And this is, you know, this is real. I wanted it to be like the, what I saw on Freeform, what I saw on switch to birth, right? This, that's it. That's what I want to see. Um, so we were down to our last pitch, which was Netflix and uh, Freeform liked the show and they offered us like a development deal or something. Um, and, but we were down to our last pitch. Everybody else had passed. We were down to our last pitch. It was Netflix. And I was like bummed, you know, and we got in the room and there was Derek Wan and Olivia LaRoche, who are the executives at Netflix. And they said, when we walked in the room, they were like, we've been waiting for this pitch. We're so excited. And I was like, oh my God. You know, and I'm like, you've seen the tape? And they're like, oh, yeah, we watched it already. We were like so excited. And I was like, so relieved, you know, like I was like, oh, my God, I get emotional just thinking about it. It was awesome, you know. And I don't know, Naomi, do you remember you were there? Did they even buy it? Like almost like pretty much bought it right in the room, right? Like what? It was awesome. Yeah, it was just like, OK, great. We'd love some more kids. But yeah, we love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted some other kids. I was like, great. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so validating, yeah. right? I mean, you believed in this, worked on this so hard just to get it to this phase and just to have it shot down, people not seeing your vision. I mean, that to me would be the most frustrating, insulting part, frankly, for people to ask you to dub it and not even take the pitch. I mean, it just misses the exact point of what you're trying to do. I, I would imagine that would have been so frustrating. But they, those, like, to have a smart executive, whenever you have, like, a good show or a hit show, it's always because of, you know, yeah, you have a good idea and you've produced it well yourself, but you always have good executives, you know, no matter what it is. And, and those two people, Derek and Olivia at Netflix, make the show better. They made the show better. They gave good notes. They gave good casting notes, good suggestions at this person, at that person. Um, in the notes process, as you give cuts, they give great notes, great suggestions, good music notes. Everything they did made the show better. So, and they, yeah, they saw what the vision was. They understood what it was. Um, they made the show shorter, 20 minutes, which was very smart, I thought. Um, it's just cool. They're just smart people, you know? And there's a reason why people want to, you know, put their shows on Netflix. It's like a, you know, different place to do a show, right? They're a little bit more progressive in their thinking. 
So once Niall came on board, now he had gone to Gallaudet, right? So he, I'm assuming, had tons of connections. Was he sort of the bridge between the cast that you got and the show? Or like, what what was his role as it evolved into an actual show? I mean, he was critical in getting Gallaudet's access, first and foremost. Right. I mean, Gallaudet's a university, it's an institution. (laughs) It's business. It has all these concerns. Like, and we're dealing with the subculture. How are they going to be seen? So he was able, he still is able to walk them through this entire process. So that's his, he's critical for that. I would, and I would think student. that wouldn't have been, sorry. I, I would thought that would, would not have been the first time that they were approached to do a show though. They've done news pieces. They've done little segments and maybe because it's not the first time they've been approached to do a documentary and they were not happy with some of the resulting kind of just pe- the way people paint the deaf community is not always like, we're like everybody else. We want to follow our kids being kids. They want hard of hearing kids like Rodney and Daquan to know their school is for you as well. And so when people do a documentary about them and kind of marginalize them and make them seem something that they're not, they, they weren't happy. So they wanted to make sure it was something cool, something that would help them. And Niall was able to like help that conversation the whole time. And they were very open. It's very, it's hard. It's like, we want to film your kids partying. We also want to film school stuff. Like we want all of it. And they were, they, um, he helped with that. Plus to the kids, he's a celebrity. He's like such this icon, this mentor, sorry, my kids in the background. And so he really did help. And he's been through this experience before being on a reality TV show, hearing community asking you questions, being perceived one way and all of that. So he's been their, their mentor throughout this process. And he's great with that. And and he also knows like the inside outs of, subculture things that we don't know about that we would find interesting you know like what like um that deaf people um have uh the way they name themselves um one of the other interesting things was like like we wouldn't have known this like like the name for trump you know (laughs) like those little things like we don't know you know like we don't know like anything you can ask Nile. you know like Nile would tell you all this all this stuff also, when you do um, uh, subtitles, uh, interpretations, um, Niall needs to triple check those for us to make sure they're accurate. And then some of the deaf producers we have in post, uh, in editing and in post have to you know, check those too, because those get sent to a deaf transcription service. And then the deaf post producers look at them, make sure those are changed and corrected. And then Niall has final say. So there's a lot of you know, accuracy steps that we have to take as well. Um, Because the other thing we learned is interpretations uh, can vary when you're interpreting for college age students. It's different. You know, the slang is different. Someone my age uh, interprets different than someone in their 20s would, right? So yeah, we We learned that during the initial casting stage with older interpreters or people who weren't of the college world. that we definitely needed to cast for um, interpreters that are younger. And so we had, to go, we had to go through like three different phases of three, cross-check all the, all the subtitles like three or four different times just to make sure they were as accurate as possible. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm going to sound probably ignorant, but I have no problem sharing because I don't think I'm alone. I really didn't know much about the deaf community and I learned... I always think the home run is when you can entertain and you can educate, but you don't realize you're being educated because you're being entertained. And you guys did this so, so well, because it's really a fun 
teenage millennial docu-soap, not millennial, Gen Z docu-soap, kind of like The Hills or any MTV show that you might watch. But it is, it's an, it's a subculture, just like obviously you came from doing every Amish show under the sun. So you're very familiar with subcultures and, but doing it in a way that felt light and fun, but also very poignant at points. I mean, I think, you know, you had a few characters that really broke my heart and just seeing kind of what any 20 something or 19 year old is going through. And then you layer on this whole other deaf or hearing being part of the hearing world, but also being part of the deaf world. And then there's this whole sort of cast system with elites and uh, some people that can sort of still hear a little bit, but so they're in sort of half in both worlds, just all these things I had no idea about that. I thought you were really able to capture so much in a show that's basically still just following romance and parties and growing up and some familial relationships. So kudos to you both and to your whole team for, for doing that. And even I'll say one other thing, and then I want to hear you guys talk, obviously, but I loved just as a producer, you know, when you're hearing the testimonials and the producers asking the question, it's silent and there's just subtitles because it's obviously a deaf producer signing and those little things that just get carried throughout the show that make it just so unique, just different than anything else I've ever seen. Now I'll be quiet. Oh, that's cool. No, I, I think that the age range for that, you know, doing a show about kids 18 to 25 makes it entertaining. Um, it's the same thing with, a lot of shows like when I did, I do breaking Amish and it's the reason why kids 18, 25, that age range is so interesting. Cause we all, even when you're in your forties, we all went through that phase of, you know, teen angst or becoming an adult and having these big decisions to make, what are you going to do after college? Or you look at what your life was like in college and all the nonsense you had to deal with. And you remember how stressful it was, um, back in college um, and how stressful these kids' lives are, even though you may think that it's not and all the things that they deal with is very stressful. So yeah, no, I appreciate that. And that's, is what we're going for without being heavy handed and, you know, trying to teach people about what it means to be deaf. Like you can learn about all these little things about their culture uh, and be entertained at the same time with um, a traditional reality TV show. Um, and it, I really, and it really helps kind of redefine what a docu-soap is. Naima, so you were really hands-on in in producing the storylines and and getting with the kids to figure out what's going on in their lives. That's always hard, right? Because it's their first time on television. They're trying to live their normal lives, but they're also trying to make entertaining TV. What was that like to figure out what you were going to capture in the course of the season? It, I mean, it was a process. It meant staying in touch with them throughout the entire development process and keeping in keeping tabs on how their life was evolving. Because where we started when we first met them and we we're like, oh, this is an interesting storyline. You know, Cheyenne is new and this, it evolves. Alexa's love life changed by the minute. We found out that Rodney and her had a past maybe several months after I had gotten to know her. So it was about gaining that trust. The, the abortion story unraveled as we cast with her. Like it oh, wasn't wow. like something that we found out off the top. That's not something that you would find out. Oh yeah, by the way, like literally, um, we started casting. We had her as a character. We met her in Daquan 
and they were on again, off again, kind of like friends with benefits. He was trying to break it off. It was over and we filmed that little bit. And then over the summer, as we came back, like, we're doing this, what's up? And she goes, oh, by the way, in an email, I had an abortion. It was Daquan's. Yada, yada. I was like, what? <laughs> are you are you open to sharing that? And then it was about, I don't know, me and him don't want to talk about it. There's so much stigma. So then it becomes like how you help them through reasons why it was, it's good to talk about it between the two of you guys and also for the rest of the world. The same thing with Cheyenne. She had walls up. She wasn't, nobody really could understand her. Nobody really could bond with her. It was the elite stuff, but there's more to Cheyenne. What, what is that? Where is the there there? So a lot of it was unpacking as we got to know them, which is sometimes while we're shooting. So we evolved those storylines. They weren't, it's, it is fly on the wall. It is like, okay, we know this character fits this archetype and these are some of her core story points. She's hard to get. She's super like conservative. All these guys, what, but they don't understand her. She has this issue with the elite. But then when you're a really good producer and you're really embedded and close with these talent, they open up during the shoot and give you those great moments that we wouldn't have had, that you can't write, that are real. And that happened for all of them, for, for Daquan. I mean, he, you just get him talking. It's like you definitely, he just wants somebody to tell his story to. And so we built onto what we thought we had and Netflix was excited about, even in the field. And like I said, from casting to going to shoot, there was all these things that were happening. Um, and that's why it's interesting working with deaf, with deaf kids, because normally you'd be able to overhear something or hear this one saying that, or there's this going on there, but you couldn't. So it, it has to, it's that much more intimate. You have to keep communications open because you can't just overhear something and then stir up the gossip that way. It has to be like them opening up to you and you communicating to them. And yeah, it, it was a, it's a process that was much more deep to get those storylines than a normal kind of like, okay, we're going to do this. We hear this is going on. And it was about a year. Yeah. Yeah. It occurs to me as we're talking, the other way that you guys have sort of turned the genre on its head is that we typically think about big characters as loud characters, physically loud. And it was so interesting to see how these big personalities emerged without speaking. I mean, that's pretty revolutionary. Alexa, to me, she was the star. I don't know what she has going on, but any man who comes in contact with her instantly falls in love with her. So something's going on there. She's adorable. But, you know, she's silent, basically, and yet she's larger than life. And that was so fascinating to me. You could just tell who the really big characters or same with Rodney, same thing. So so that is really a testament to to the way Naima handled uh, producing herself, producing the show, producing the cast uh, and getting to know the cast and embedding herself. So the, you know, on, on a lot of shows, you will staff up, you see this on a lot of shows, some generic reality show, there'll be a talent producer and then that person's on for eight weeks and then they're gone and then they're on the next show and then that it never works. It doesn't work that way. Shows don't work that way. What worked on this show isn't your loud casting Skype where someone either has to laugh, cry, or yell, right? Those are your generic casting uh, uh, commands that you get from either your network exec or your boss at the production company you work for. For this show, it's different. It's honesty. How honest and how open are the characters um, uh, in much of their life and how honest will they be with the viewer? 
in DEFU, it is, I believe, some of the most honest. These people are so open and honest with their lives. Um, and Naima was able to embed herself with them. Naima taught herself um, sign language. Um, she um, was there for the cast. She remains friends with the cast. She's truly produced this show with them and was able to bring that out. And that's the difference between, um, you know, um, the difference between reality show casting in a professional way and a generic way. Naima, how hard was it or was it hard at all to learn sign language? I mean, it, it's not hard when you're immersed in it. Whenever you step back and you don't use it, you lose it. Like you, if you don't use it, you lose it. So like I'm now I'm like, oh, my God, I have to I'm out here in Austin. I want to meet up with Peggy just so I can use it again. But when you're like thrown in and it's even easier at parties. Um, that's why like the uh, the deaf students will tell you that's how Daquan learned. Tess was like, just come party with us because your inhibitions kind of drop and you're just like, I'll try it. It wasn't hard when you're using it every day because it makes sense. It's a visual language. They're telling a story and painting a picture, especially when you get past um, spelling and then you get it. Some, But there's different dialects, there's different accents, there's different speeds and that gets confusing. There's different ways that people sign. So some people are definitely harder to understand than other people in sign, and that's because of their accent. Like Tessa would go super fast. But um, because I had been around Tessa a lot, I understood her. I could understand her signs, and she, I think she would slow down for me. But other people, if you're coming from Texas, like Dalton, for example, very hard to understand, even for the interpreters. Just like how Texans have an accent to us hearing people, <laughs> there's accents in sign language. So that part of it, that nuance is still hard for me, but the basic stuff, is it, I mean, first, it's a necessity. On Gallaudet campus, it's a silent campus. You, you feel out of place using your voice and speaking. You're forced to use it. Um, and so therefore, it wasn't hard at all. Um, you want to fit in, <laughs> basically. So I want to talk more about the production because I think the music obviously is key to the show. It, it's, you know, every show you worry about Every show you think about the music and how you're going to design music and scenes, but this show, it's so important on so many levels. So let's talk about how you use the music and what the goal was with the music. So on every show you think about, just like you said, Aliza, on every show you think about how you're going to use the music until it gets in the hands of some editor who's lazy and then just throws <laughs> in his generic library music. So, so on this one, we, we really made sure that that didn't happen. So um, every all the music in the show is library music. Uh, however, we did scour the library. Uh, and Naima and um, Eric Keston, our, our, our co-EP and post, um, scoured and made sure that you know we used appropriate lyrical cues when when needed um i'm a big fan of lyrical cues um um for for shows um i don't think they're used enough and um, we did that a lot in this show and appropriately themed as well but it wasn't even just the music that you chose it was and i'm sure this was intentional but whatever effect you did to make it so that the viewer was actually experiencing the music and the surroundings as if we were also deaf. So everything was kind of muted and the music was almost far away in the distance. It was really cool. However, you attain that effect. Yeah, that came about after a couple tries of how to play with music in a deaf space, music, it's a sound design. 
Um, and then I think in one scene, we threw it through a filter. Um, it's like background. It's also, it's not, it's so, it's like as if you were deaf, but also just to not, so the music doesn't kind of take over the conversation, the silent conversation that's happening around it. Um, so we played with that throughout every scene. Like you have the scene with Alexa and Braxton in the car where he's like blasting rock music and the door closes, you don't hear it. We did play with the, the levels of it because sometimes they blast music and sometimes it sounds muted. So yeah, it, it was definitely sound design and Eric Keston and I just played with every scene to see what was the best kind of mix and what felt like you were in that moment and didn't distract you from the conversation going on. It's delicate balance. Yeah, I thought you accomplished it perfectly. So I also do want to hear a little bit more about the crew. So I read in an interview that about 50, you were sort of aiming for 30% deaf and then it ended up being at around 50%. So can you just highlight some of the people from the crew that were deaf just from the beginning to the end, pre to post? Um, it was about 30%. I mean, so we had uh, uh, Bradley, we had some really, I mean, some some great, producers in the field. We had uh, a guy named Bradley, Gant, uh, Ruan, um, uh, Tyrone. Um, who else did we have? Javier was a cameraman for the pilot. Who's good. In post, we had Taj and Bradley. Um, I mean, we had some really, Peggy Ann was our casting person. Um, everybody got along really great. We had a lot of interpreters. We had an entire deaf transcription company with about 30 deaf people transcribing all of our footage. I mean, it was Speaking a massive which, effort. This will be transcribed as well. So um, if you spread it within the community, we'll have a transcript up of this podcast as well um, within an hour of it dropping. So I'll put that in the show notes. So I do want to talk, hopefully you guys are going to be getting a season two. Um, I don't know if you have any word on that yet, Eric. No, they don't tell you that until, um, you know, for a while to see how it goes. I hope so. Even if there's not one, I mean, it was great just to do this, you know, yeah. and but to it's meet doing all really the people well. that we, that I think so. Yeah. I think it's doing great. You know, it seems to be doing really, really well. People respond really well. It's hard um, with no, you know, with the way Netflix, you know, you don't have, you know, ratings or anything like that, but it, it does, it, people are responding really, really really, really well to it. But we met a lot of great producers that we're going to be working with, um, you know, on other shows. And um, so we really, it was a great experience. We got everything that we ever really wanted to have happen, happened perfectly, you know, for, for me and Naima and everybody that we worked with. Yeah. So when great. I was doing my deep dive, just preparing for this, you know, it was amazing reviews. I think people are so in the deaf community too, grateful to have this representation. There were a few critiques about the casting and how they felt like, why couldn't they have found black women? And also there was something, I don't know if I have the terminology, I don't know if I have the terminology right, but like multi-disabled, like not just deaf, but also blind, I guess there's multi-disabled as well. So I know I'm sure you've heard this too. So what's your response? And is that something that you're going to look toward when you cast season two, if there is one? Absolutely something we look towards to build off of if we cast season two, if there's a season two. But initially, like I said, with the casting, we set a wide, we cast a wide net. We did outreach everywhere and we we went off of who submitted. And there's this barrier to entry, reality show. What are you going to do? Am I going to be like exploited? I'm in college. I'm drink Like there was a lot of hesitation. And then we we're hearing producers, even though we had Peggy Ann coming into 
a world that's often exploited. So it was just like a lot of like, we had to, we had to say, no, that's not what we're doing. We're not that show. We're not going to be like that. This is it. So we did not get a lot of African-American female submissions. As I said on a guy you did live stream, I could count on less than one hand. And yes, we could have been more aggressive um, at going to the, the student unions and finding and saying we need this, but we also wanted to keep it organic to who right. knew who. So it's like, I didn't want to shoehorn in somebody speaking as African-American female. I've seen this done several times where there's just a token because they know they need to check that box. I really wanted to find the organic connections of our students. And then, so now moving forward and just being on campus, they have so many groups of kids and so many other groups of friends that you can follow. So even if we were to do a season two and still follow maybe a couple, there's another group of friends that we can go and tell a whole new story about. It wasn't yeah. to limit, it was to be, it was to be, okay, this is the group, this is their history, let's go from there and let's be the first, but let's continue telling the multiple stories that exist in a campus that's the only deaf school in the world, all deaf university. There's so many stories to tell and so many subgroups and sub-subgroups of groups. So yeah, I would love more diversity, but we had to start somewhere and we went with a group of friends that replied um, and just said, let's go. And then, yeah, and it, there. it was key to the success because I couldn't believe you know, how many, they all slept with each other. And a lot of them have been friends from growing up. I mean, it couldn't have been more organic for our first group. I was pretty impressed. All right, yeah. last question. This doesn't have to do with the production. This has to do with just a burning question. Why is the makeup of Gallaudet 300 men to 700 women? I have no idea. <laughs> that's something that Renata said early on in casting. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Eric, yeah, any thoughts? <laughs> no, nobody ever said, I don't know why. I don't know. We never asked. I guess we should have. Yeah. I don't know why. It was just a lot of, Back to what you said, though, a lot of the kids did grow up together because there's only so many schools, deaf schools, you know, the deaf high schools. So a lot of them, it's a very close community. Uh, which makes for a better show as well, because a lot of them already know each other. And um, it's a very gossipy community. A lot of the deaf kids know one another and word travels fast. So it, it really makes for a great reality show, you know, um, a very soapy kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you liked it, Elisa. I know you like docu, docu-soap, so I'm glad you really liked it. You're a good, you're a good litmus test. Ah, uh, thanks. Yeah, look, I think you did something different and something brave. And I love these types of stories where in the end, you can't really imagine it on any place else but Netflix, because my cousin was watching it with me over the weekend. We text back and forth and she said, is this just really good because it's Netflix? Like, would this be as good on another network? And I said, I think it's probably a combo. Like everything is elevated on Netflix. But it's just it's just a good, it's, you got the good content there, you know, and then Netflix just kind of elevates it. So I'm really glad it ended up there. Plus you'll get gazillions of people to see it, which is what you want. It's great exposure worldwide. I mean, what else could you ask for? Congratulations to both of you. Um, and obviously the rest of the crew on a really wonderful show. I really hope there's a season two because I'm ready for it. Thanks, Aliza. Thank you. 